Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Dennis Day disappeared on Wednesday, January 9th, 2002. When a person disappears without a trace, often the most critical information is hidden in their actions and words from the days before they vanished. Dennis's last known whereabouts may hold the clues to what happened to her. A young, dedicated mother of two turns her life around after a troubled past. She was back in control of her life. She was on top of the world. But after leaving work one day, she is never seen again. He called me and he said, Carrie, Dennis didn't come home last night. Do you know where she is? I knew something was wrong. Just something was wrong. An investigation begins that is problematic from the start. I thought that he was kind of trying to keep certain facts from coming up. For investigators, frustration takes over. It was a loss. I mean, that was the closest I think we came up to that point, to a confession. And a family is left wondering if they will ever see justice. It's Christmas Day, 2001, and 19-year-old Dennis Day is back in her hometown of Laramie, Wyoming, to celebrate the holidays with her mother, two sisters, and their extended family. We hadn't seen each other in a long time, and uh, she gave wonderful hugs. They lasted minutes and minutes. We were all together. We took a lot of pictures. This holiday is extra special for the family. Dennis has come home with two new additions to her life, her seven-month-old daughter, Kaylee, and the girl's father, Dennis's boyfriend, Victor. We were starting our lives over a little bit. And the fact that the whole family was there meant that we made a decision to be closer to our loved ones, pay more attention to what mattered. After a decade of turbulence, the extended family is finally returning to a place of normalcy. It was more of a celebration between Dennis and my mom and kind of their parallels in life. 
Dennis and her mother have both just completed rehab after long stretches of addiction, Jonine to meth and alcohol, and Dennis to cocaine. She said, you know, it's been this long since I've been sober and I feel like I'm finally getting back to the real me. She just seemed optimistic for her future and the clean life. But life had not always been so difficult for Dennis and her family. Her childhood years in Wyoming had been idyllic. Dennis was just a welcome addition to our family because I had already had two little girls and then Rod and I married and we had Dennis and everybody just adored her. She was vibrant, she just, she just seemed to enjoy life as a kiddo. She just had something that the kids wanted to be around. But Dennis's charmed upbringing comes to an abrupt end in 1989 when her parents divorce. After Dennis's dad and I broke up, our whole family just imploded. It affected us all. And Dennis's dad, he needed to get away. He uh, went down to Colorado. I was a terrible mother. I got into the meth and alcohol. And she could be gone with her friends for days at a time. I wouldn't leave enough food in the house for them to eat. You know, I spent money that we didn't have. I'd quit jobs that we needed. She didn't have any supervision from me. In spite of her chaotic family life, Dennis manages to maintain good grades. She excels in the arts, particularly in writing. At 15, she publishes a poem in a local literary journal. She was just really creative. I mean, she was always drawing from a young age and just really smart and learned to read and write really young. I think writing was a way for Dennis to get through things that were going on with my mom at the time when she lived with her. There was a lot of periods of time where it was her role to save my mom. But no amount of writing could make up for the lack of adult supervision in Dennis's life. At 16, she gets pregnant. I mean, I can kill myself with guilt. I do all the time over what should I have done different. But when I found out that she was pregnant with her first child, I went and got her. And she had her first baby here. We did the best we could, you know. Under her father's supervision in Monte Vista, Colorado, Dennis's life becomes more stable she attends a program that enables her to get her GED while juggling a job and motherhood. She cherished her baby. She was very good mom. He was just part of her, and, and she would have fought you tooth and nail if you crossed her kid. With her father's support, Dennis is able to take short breaks from motherhood and ease into a social life in Monte Vista. A year later, at a party on the outskirts of town, Dennis meets a young man named Victor Braun. With Victor, he kind of seemed like everything you wanted in a guy. He had his own house, he had his own vehicles, he worked, 
He was very charming. He was fun. Dennis starts to spend a lot of time at Victor's house, which he shares with his father, Vern Braun, a local mechanic and used car dealer. A romance between Victor and Dennis develops quickly, and six months after they first meet, Dennis is pregnant with his child. She told me that once she got with him, she felt comfortable with him, and she was going to stay where she was comfortable. And then she got pregnant, and so she was just making a life where she was. But the party life she is living with Victor is not compatible with being a mother, and Dennis becomes addicted to cocaine. Hoping to stop her addiction before it's too late, her family talks Dennis into going to rehab. I just laid it on the line and said, Dennis, you need, you need some help. And she didn't argue. I said, okay, when? I said, right now. After a month in treatment, Dennis seems to emerge a new person. She was different. She was stronger. She um, was starting to stand up for herself a lot, not depending on Victor so much, which I think that was a big goal for her. One of the high points of her new life is getting an apartment of her own in Monte Vista. That apartment was freedom to her. It was, it was her home. It's mine. She told me it's. It's my apartment. While maintaining her apartment, Dennis continues to spend some nights at Victor's home. But she confides to her dad that lately she prefers her own place to staying at Victor's. She was back in control of her life. And, well, that made me happy. Oh, she was on top of the world there for a while. After her uplifting holiday visit with family in Wyoming, Dennis returns to Monte Vista eager to make the new year a good one. She goes back to her job at Dos Rios, a restaurant in town where she has been working since finishing rehab eight months earlier. On January 9th, 2002, she completes her shift and prepares to leave for Victor's house. On the evening of January 12th, 2002, three days after Dennis finishes her shift at Dos Rios, Rod's phone rings and he's pleased to see it's Dennis calling. But it is not his daughter's voice on the other end. And it was Dennis's cell, but it was Victor. And he asked me if I'd seen Dennis. Well, no, she talked to her a couple of days ago, but she's probably at work. I said, no, they hadn't seen her at work. I said, what? You know, I knew something was wrong. It just something was wrong. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact. 
A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover. And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Nineteen-year-old Dennis Day, a mother of two young children, is getting her life back on track after struggling with addiction for two years. But... In early January 2002, her father Rod gets a disturbing call from Dennis's boyfriend Victor that turns his world upside down. Victor said he hasn't seen her for three days himself. I called a couple of her friends and I called out to the Dos Rios restaurant where she was working. And they said they hadn't seen her in about three days. Rod files a missing persons report with the sheriff's department and immediately starts alerting family members. Meanwhile, Victor is also calling, looking for Dennis. He called me and he said, Carrie, Dennis didn't come home last night. Do you know where she is? And I said, I don't know. I haven't seen her. After a sleepless night, Dennis's father drives by Dennis's new apartment. Nothing looks out of the ordinary, except there is no sign of Dennis. Desperate and not knowing where to turn next, Family members try to get the word out about Dennis's disappearance. My sister and I did the missing posters and, you know, just trying to get what little media attention we could. I was making calls to FBI and CBI and just trying to stay in touch with everybody. On Monday, January 14th, five days after Dennis was last seen, an investigation is launched. The Rio Grande County Sheriff's Department spends the next few days checking Dennis's credit card and cell phone records. They also question her friends and coworkers, but they gain nothing useful from these conversations. 
They then go out to Victor and his father's auto body shop to interview them. Sheriff Brian Norton would later be brought on to the investigation. I was told that Victor Braun said that after she got home, they put the kids to sleep, and she said that she was going to leave and go out with friends. He wanted to know who she was going with. She said that she didn't want to tell him. She walked out, and he looked out the window and seen her get in the car and leave. Investigators take a statement from Victor and convey their findings to Dennis's family. When they hear what Dennis did that night, they try to reconcile this kind of behavior with the young mother of two who had recently turned a corner in her life. And at that point, we did wonder if maybe Dennis had taken off for a couple of days or needed a break. Family members tell investigators that Dennis sometimes spends several days at friends' houses. So they begin the challenging task of tracking down her numerous friends in the area. But no one claims to have seen Dennis since Wednesday, January 9th. A lot of people wanted to believe that she just ran away. Rumors start to circulate. One of the stories is that Dennis skipped town after relapsing on drugs. I never knew of Dennis to do hard drugs when she got back from rehab. And I knew she had been in situations where hard drugs were around her and she turned them down. Looking for more clues and still hoping it's a runaway case, investigators go to Dos Rios, the restaurant where Dennis has been waitressing. There was a young man that used to come in, uh, oh, maybe two, three times a week. And they conversed back and forth quite a bit. And uh, that very day, the night she disappeared, he had been here. The sheriff's department learns that the man left Dennis an unusually large tip the day she was last seen. Maybe he was interested in her, but as far as the relationship establishing, I never saw that. But after questioning Dos Rios employees, investigators learn an intriguing piece of information about Dennis's relationship with her boyfriend, Victor. Dennis had plans to leave Victor the night she disappeared. I know Victor was very jealous. He was very controlling. Dennis would come to our house just to hang out, watch movies. Victor would call her cell phone. She'd say, I'm at Carrie's house. Then he'd call our house phone just to make sure she wasn't lying. Local law enforcement was already aware that the relationship was volatile. Though Victor was not convicted for any related crimes, as an undersheriff in Rio Grande County, Sheriff Brian Norton had encountered the young couple on a number of domestic disturbance calls. You'd see them together and they looked happy. Other times, Dennis had the black eyes, would wear dark glasses to try to cover up the marks. I used to tell Dennis, you can get out, and she'd say, he can change. That once he got off drugs and once he quit being in the whole drug life, that he would change and be the person she wanted him to be. And I think when she kept her own apartment and didn't move back in with him, I think she was starting to realize he wasn't ever going to give her her freedom. In the past, Rod Day had been to the sheriff's office seeking help for his daughter. But because Dennis was now an adult, there was little the sheriff could do. Seeing that she was over 18, we just had to react to any calls that came. Given the alleged violence in the relationship, the family cannot understand why investigators have not searched Victor's house. 
but they have heard a rumor about a previous association between Sheriff Desi Medina and the Braun family, which could possibly explain the delays in the investigation. thought Sheriff Medina was very um, insincere about the investigation. When I questioned him myself, just he really didn't even seem to believe in his own head that maybe Victor had done something with my sister. District Attorney Investigator Sean Woods believes Sheriff Medina's past connection is influencing the investigation. All along our investigation, there were inferences of Sheriff Desi Medina being friends with Vern Braun and having personal dealings, business dealings, that kind of thing together. It's my opinion that because of his friendship with Vern Braun and Victor Braun, that he took a back seat in the case, knowing that he was probably under the microscope because of that friendship. In fact, Sheriff Medina had officially removed himself from conducting the investigation. But the Day family believes that something is still going on behind closed doors. I thought that he was kind of coddling the, the Braun's family and almost even trying to keep certain facts from coming up. It's been an emotionally draining two weeks for the Day family. They're increasingly suspicious that the investigation into Dennis's disappearance might be compromised. The county sheriff, Desi Medina, has a personal connection with Dennis's boyfriend and his father. But just as the family is about to give up hope, an explosive tip triggers the first significant lead in the case. Information came to light that Victor punched Dennis in the throat and killed her. That was the statement made. Investigators quickly act on the tip by interviewing Tracy Williams, the girlfriend of Victor's father, Vern Braun. It was January 18th of 2002. That's when Vern Braun supposedly had called Tracy Williams and stated to Tracy, Tracy, Victor makes me sick. He hit Dennis in the throat and killed her and now we have to leave and get rid of some evidence. That kind of information is paramount. It's huge. And in my experience, it's tough to believe that statements like that just come out of the blue. Investigators immediately summon Victor and Vern to the sheriff's office for questioning. They are separated and then confronted with Tracy Williams' accusations. Vern was being questioned in regards to what he knew of the incident, whether he heard an argument, what time Dennis came home, what Victor was doing. Both Vern and Victor deny having anything to do with Dennis's disappearance. But when asked where they went the night Tracy said they'd left town to dispose of evidence, they give conflicting accounts of their whereabouts. Then, Vern Braun asks for a cigarette break. The sergeant allows him to go smoke, unaware that at the same moment, Victor is also outside smoking. And both of them are having a cigarette and talking to each other. And they were able to corroborate their story and knew what each person had been questioned about and what, what was said in each in interrogation. After returning from his smoke break, Vern makes a troubling but compelling comment about his son. Vern Braun said that if Victor did do anything, that he didn't want to be the one to bring him down, 
that it needed to come from Victor. Meanwhile, Victor is quick to give an explanation for why his and his father's account of their whereabouts on the 18th did not mesh. He says that he lied earlier, simply to cover up the fact that he had broken probation by traveling. They crossed the state line. Well, he was on probation at the time on unrelated charges, and it was a violation of his probation. With Victor and Vern now having an explanation for the discrepancies in their stories, questioning hits a standstill. The bronze make it clear they're done talking. It was a loss. I mean, that was the closest I think we came up to that point. Vern Braun was about to give information. And when you're on the verge of getting this crucial information, you don't stop. You, you, you forge ahead, you, you press, you, you get inside their comfort zone and get them to talk. That, it's just the way it's done. In an attempt to salvage a lost opportunity, investigators persuade the bronze to let them search their home. It's been two weeks since Dennis has disappeared, and this is the first time investigators have been to the place where she was last seen. The investigators found her cell phone, her purse, her jacket. Nothing was taken that showed that she was leaving for any length of time. I think the temperatures uh, that night were below freezing, and she didn't even take a jacket. So that was things that really didn't add up that she was planning on leaving. Authorities bring in ATVs and cadaver dogs to comb the foothills surrounding the Braun Ranch, hoping to find Dennis. But once again, all of these efforts lead nowhere, bringing the Day family back to square one. It was about this time that I just didn't know where to turn. I wanted to hurt somebody, but always look in the mirror and say, well, yeah, but then you're going to be the only one to go to jail here. And then I never would see my grandbabies. One of the things that is most important to us is um, not having our kids believe that she left them, that she ran away from them and didn't care about them and abandoned them. Then, just when it appears this troubled case can't get any worse, Sheriff Desi Medina, who is supervising the case, makes a shocking declaration in front of a panel of county commissioners. Without citing a source, Sheriff Medina gives a lurid account of Dennis's murder. He recounts in graphic detail how Victor killed Dennis and disposed of her body. People in the room are stunned and mystified as to how Sheriff Medina knows this information. Within a day's time, the sheriff's inflammatory comments get back to Dennis's family and friends. It was like she wasn't even a human being. They were kind of talking about her like she didn't matter at all. Something to the effect that she came in to tell him she was leaving and moving back to her apartment and Victor hit her in the throat, killing her. Dennis's loved ones are not only horrified by the comments, they fear the outburst may have tarnished the investigation for good. It made me realize that he did know more about the case than he let on and that he had completely probably ruined all of our chances of getting the kind of justice that we would hope would come from this. What Sheriff Medina said at the county commissioner's meeting was reckless at best. 
when this happens, the district attorney then, then contacts Desi Medina and says, you know what, enough. We're taking this case over. This was reckless. We, we, we're going to handle this. Although the district attorney's office pledges to get involved in the case, with no new evidence, their hands are tied, and the investigation comes to a standstill. I thought we were kind of sunk. I just really didn't have a whole lot of hope. Having lost faith in sheriff's investigators, Dennis's sister Julie travels from Wyoming to Colorado to interrogate the man she believes murdered her sister. I had the weirdest thought the whole time I was going down there because it was very scary for me to go alone. Dennis's sister arranges to meet Victor Braun for brunch at a coffee shop just outside of town. He was a nervous wreck, and he didn't express any kind of empathy for our family, um, considering he'd just spent Christmas with us. He just told me that she had left with friends and that she had probably taken off with another guy that he didn't really know. When I walked away from that meeting with Victor, I knew that we were going to be lucky if we ever found out what truly happened to her. As weeks turn into months, investigators are desperate for fresh leads. But they find themselves stymied by the tight-lipped residents in Monte Vista. A lot of these people were, were willing to talk to us, but they weren't willing to, to take that next step. Yeah, I knew Victor. We went to school together. Yeah, I worked for him. But nobody would ever say anything bad about him. Victor's got a criminal background. And all these people that knew him, they wouldn't cross those lines. Hoping to break the wall of silence, family members begin publishing pleas for support in the local papers. And Jackie, Dennis's sister, creates a website in Dennis's name. I kept everyone abreast of what was going on and just tried to keep Dennis's memory alive. My goal was still to find out where my daughter was. But <laughs> that was always my goal. I just wasn't ready to let go. A full year has now passed since Dennis's disappearance, and her father marks the day with a candlelight vigil. My thinking was maybe somebody will be here that will come forward that might know a little something. Uh, if they see how much it hurt her family. In attendance that evening is Under Sheriff Brian Norton, who is now running for the sheriff's job. And the sheriff came up to me after it was over and says, we'll find her. And I made my promise to him that night. I shook his hand that if elected as sheriff, that I would do everything I could to I'll find the answers for him. Three weeks later, Brian Norton is elected sheriff, and he enters office fully committed to fulfill his campaign promise. And I sat down with, with Rod Day, and I said, you know, a lot of times a cold case stays cold for some time, but in time, girlfriends aren't girlfriends, and wives split up, and husbands, and 
it might take some time before somebody might lead us in the right direction. When Sheriff Norton takes over the case, he and Investigator Woods implement a plan to keep close tabs on Victor in the hopes that he will lead them to Dennis's whereabouts. But before they can put their strategy in place, there's another setback. Victor leaves town and moves to Kansas, placing him out of the sheriff's jurisdiction. That was a hurdle in the investigation, knowing that he was in Kansas and I was in Colorado. But Rod Day is determined to keep his daughter's story in the public eye. He organizes a gathering. Commemorating each day Dennis has been missing, he asks Sheriff Norton to release 730 helium balloons into the air. We know there are those possibly here today that have the answers and know the truth as to what happened and how it happened. We plead, please come forward so we can have some peace, so Dennis's children can have some peace. Reach into your heart and ask yourself, what would I do if this was my child? Even with the pleas for help, no new information comes to light. In early 2007, after years of painstaking investigative work, Sheriff Norton finally has some luck. Victor Braun moves back to Monte Vista, and according to District Attorney Investigator Sean Wood's sources, their primary suspect has come home under the weight of a severe drug addiction. When I heard that his drug addiction had worsened, I wanted to try to key in on that because maybe we'd gain something by charging him and getting him off the street and getting him to talk to us in a jail type setting. As Victor's addiction spirals out of control, the sheriff's department begins tracking his every move. Over the course of a year, they arrest him on a series of minor charges, ranging from driving without a license to possession of drugs. Anything that we could get on him, just to throw in that bucket and say, look it, you're gonna go to jail for a long time on all these charges. You'd be better off by telling us now what happened to Dennis. We knew that after seven, seven and a half years, that he wasn't going to tell us unless he felt that it was going to benefit him. The sheriff's department still does not have enough solid evidence against Victor to leverage any kind of plea bargain. But their fortune changes in April of that year when Victor is caught on tape on a burglary spree that includes seven stores in the Monte Vista area. The sheriff's department has spent the last seven and a half years tracking Victor Braun, the man they believe is responsible for the disappearance of Dennis Day. Through an aggressive pursuit of Victor's criminal activities, Sheriff Brian Norton manages to put Victor behind bars on pending burglary and drug charges. I had him in the county jail here in my facility, so I had more leverage now than what I had in years past. It was frustrating because at times he wanted to talk and then there was times that he'd go back to a cell upset with us and I'd think we're not going to get anything. But in the fall of 2008, after the sheriff has been pressuring him to talk for more than a year, Victor agrees to participate in a plea bargain discussion. This is the first sign that Victor might admit he has information on Dennis's whereabouts. Finally, her family might get the answer they have been anxiously awaiting. And the sheriff told me that this might be 
in the works, and I could see possibly a light at the end of this tunnel, at least knowing where she is. Hopefully, if he wants to plea bargain. The sheriff's first offer is for Victor to plead guilty to first-degree manslaughter with a potential prison sentence of six to 12 years. His attorney said no, he wouldn't go with that and rejected his client's signature. A few weeks pass, and Victor's lawyer makes a counteroffer. He stipulates that Victor will agree to provide information leading to Dennis only if he serves no more than six years in jail. I said, that ain't gonna happen. He could rot in hell for all I care. Uh, no, don't take that one. I'm not gonna accept anything that's gonna give him less time in prison than I have been waiting for my daughter to be found. Months go by as the sheriff, the district attorney, and Victor's lawyer painstakingly iron out the details of a plea bargain acceptable to both sides. Finally, on April 29, 2009, the family gets the news they've long been waiting for. Victor will lead sheriff's investigators to Dennis. In exchange, he'll plead guilty to reckless manslaughter with a sentence of six to 12 years subject to a judge's discretion and all drug and burglary charges will be dropped. That is just the most overpowering thing that I've ever felt is when it, the reality of what I've felt and I was dreading hearing is coming to light. On the very day Victor signs his plea bargain agreement, he begins to provide Sheriff Norton with answers to the questions which have evaded investigators for seven and a half years. Can you answer uh, what type of container is it? Plastic, metal, wood? 65 gallon drum, blue, and it's been cut. So then it's going to show a weld in the, oh, in the middle, top, bottom. Matter of fact, I had to put paper on it so it sealed. The closest that we ever come to a confession was that he said that it was an accidental death. Uh, he believed it to be a drug overdose and that she quit breathing and that he disposed of her body uh, because he was scared that because of his criminal record, the Department of Social Services would go ahead and take his daughter away from him. Victor also tells the sheriff that he drove to Arizona and dropped the barrel into the middle of a lake. But there is a problem. Victor can't remember the name of the lake. He does remember that he passed a, a guard shack. So that kind of narrowed it down. So we spent several hours looking at different lakes that had guard shacks. And eventually, it comes out that it's Lehman Lake in Apache County, Arizona. It's a state park lake, very large. One week later, Sheriff Norton escorts Victor to Lyman Lake. He pointed in the general direction that he dumped the body. And we put him back in the vehicle and transported him back here to the sheriff's office. Just a few weeks later, Sheriff Norton returns to Lyman Lake with the FBI's recovery dive team equipped with deep water sonar. But they're up against considerable challenges. The visibility in the water was maybe a foot at best. Uh, very cold water. We worked the sonar for approximately three days, and the evening of the fourth day, 
some dives were made, and one of the divers located a barrel. But that barrel didn't match the description. News of the failed recovery effort reaches the Day family almost immediately. We'd lose hope because she wasn't there. And so it was, it was really about the, it was the worst part of the whole thing, really. Sheriff Norton is determined to continue the search, but the FBI is reluctant to go back. They said that they did what they could, that they didn't feel that they could find it. Um, they had other cases that they needed to move on to. They just quit on us and wasn't happy. I wasn't happy, but wasn't anything I could do about it. The FBI's decision is a blow, not just to the Day family, but to Sheriff Norton. I, I take the case as personal. Um, coming that far, after this amount of time, I wasn't going to give up. I was going to go dive the lake if I had to. In the weeks following the FBI's announcement, Sheriff Norton reaches out to colleagues in law enforcement, hoping to find a dive team willing to return to Lyman Lake. He's referred to Utah's public safety dive team. He calls them immediately. Here again. Sheriff Norton didn't quit. He kept going till he found another dive team. And sure enough, the state of Utah jumped right on it and bless their hearts. Picking up where he had left off, Sheriff Norton and the Utah divers return to the lake. They too employ sonar to search the reservoir's lower depths. And they started working in a southerly direction of where he had pinpointed it. We were kind of just looking at anything that piqued our interest. Reviewing the sonar reports that evening, both Sheriff Norton and the Utah dive team see strong indications of a large metal object. So they decided that in the morning when the wind was cooperating with us, uh, the lake was still, that we'd go ahead and dive on that. With only one foot of visibility, on their first attempt, the Utah dive team retrieves a blue oil barrel. Just like the one Victor Braun said he'd used to conceal Dennis's remains. There's a hole right here. It's blue. It was welded. It's got the tape on it. And then we went ahead and uh, took the top off and located the remains, uh, the bones. Um, we ended up with 5.5 pounds of uh, charred remains. Three months later, the coroner delivers its reports to Sheriff Norton. The DNA is a match. The search for Dennis Day is over. I had done what I said, what I'd set out to do. Um, we had found her and brought her back home. When they found her, I think it was a sense of well, at least we know we know now what happened, and we don't have to doubt it anymore. And that's all we really wanted was answers. Is where is she? Bring her home, and we can celebrate her life. On November 13th, 2009, a memorial service is held for Dennis in Monte Vista. Four weeks later, Victor Braun receives the maximum sentence his plea bargain allows, 12 years in jail on a conviction of reckless manslaughter. But Victor never admits to killing Dennis. 
Investigators still consider the case to be open. I don't think justice has been served, um, but we made that choice to know where she was over the other option. He may have never gotten any time, and we still would not have her. Because of the condition of the remains, the coroner is unable to determine the cause of death. But a toxicology test is completed and shows no traces of drugs. I'll never get over it. I'll never forget her. And she was special to us from the day she came home. I thought she was the most beautiful child in the world and uh, the most perfect, and I guess I still do. <laughs> you look back, and you can't think of any faults. They just become perfect in your eyes. I guess there's some closure to the fact that I know where she is now. But it's just a long chapter in my life that I don't know that I'll ever close that door. Are you looking for a trusted property insurance partner to help your business grow and stay resilient? FM Global uses science, data, and research to help you make informed decisions. By working together, FM Global can help you grow your company with confidence and deliver the protection and expertise you need to thrive. We're also here to help you navigate the complex world of ESG. We'll work with you to identify and mitigate risks related to natural disasters and offer solutions that contribute to a more sustainable future. Let's prepare to prosper. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Nickelodeon was kid everything. But that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set. An ID true crime event. Sunday, March 17th at 9. On ID and stream on Max.